You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast, from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, SpyCast brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about SpyCast, or if you want to suggest someone who might be a good future guest, email us at spycast at spymuseum.org. That's spycast at spymuseum.org. Also, if you like what you hear, and even if you don't, please take a minute to review us on iTunes or whatever platform you might be listening. We're always looking for ways to make SpyCast better, and you can help. Good afternoon. This is Chris Costa, Executive Director, International Spy Museum. Today we're joined by Rob Saley, former director of the Hostage Recovery Fusion Cell. So before we get started, what I'd like to do is uh, provide a brief overview of Rob's bio to get a sense of his impressive experience as a senior special agent at the FBI and an, ex and an executive with the FBI. So again, Rob, uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Chris. Thanks for having me here. So Rob Saley is the current president and CEO of Star Consulting and Investigations, a security and risk consulting firm which he founded in late 2018. Prior to starting up SCI, Rob served as a special agent in the FBI and most recently served as the director of the Hostage Recovery Fusion Cell, HRFC, a U.S. government interagency organization directly responsible to the President of the United States for coordinating recovery efforts for U.S. hostages held abroad. Prior to this appointment, Rob served in a variety of roles as an FBI special agent and executive leader within the Bureau. Among the various assignments, Rob served as assistant special agent in charge of one of FBI's top 13 U.S.-based field offices, where he successfully led numerous federal investigations of violent and white-collar criminals, terror suspects, and fugitives from justice. As a federal FBI agent, Rob was highly regarded as an investigator, receiving numerous awards for investigative excellence, including Virginia Gang Investigator of the Year in 2008. Rob also served as an FBI SWAT commander, SWAT team member, and was one of the original members of the FBI director's protective de detail formed in 2001. I could go on and on. I will tell you that Rob also was an aviator in the United States Army, and we're really glad to have you here. Rob, thanks again for joining us today. So what we wanted to do today, Rob, is really dive in a little bit and talk and define for the public what the HRFC mission was, what 
was the HRFC responsibilities. So if we can kick it off by you talking about the HRFC, why it was established, and, and how does it operate? Sure, Chris. And again, thanks for having me here. Um, yeah, this, this topic is very dear to my heart. The, I was very passionate about the, uh, the HRFC. Um, the uh, HRFC was stood up in June of 2015, and essentially it was a result of the U.S. failure, U.S. government failure, to successfully get uh, Jim Foley, uh, Stephen Sotloff, Peter Kasig, and Kayla Mueller out from Syria when they were being held by ISIS. Um, all four uh, were held by ISIS in 2013, 2014, and all died while they were in ISIS captivity. Um, during the time of their captivity, there, there were a lot of uh, missteps by the U.S. government in, in the way uh, we shared information with each, uh, each other within, within the interagency, as well as how we treated the families. Um, so after, after their deaths, there was a, a, a lot a large public outcry, and the Obama administra administration decided to conduct a hostage review. And that hostage review, I think, was only supposed to take about three months. It ended up taking nearly nearly a year. But as a result of the hostage review, uh, the uh, administration developed uh, Presidential Policy Directive 30, PPD 30, um, which was signed by President Obama uh, in uh, late June of uh, 2000. Uh, 2015. And then really what PPD-30 would have laid out the U.S. policy on how we would deal with uh, Americans held abroad and establish the hostage enterprise that's currently in place today. Oh, that's a good lay down, Rob. And full disclosure, I worked with Rob when I was at the White House, and I can vouch for his passion and the importance he placed and that his whole team placed on supporting families of hostages. So can you talk a little bit about that on how you link the HRFC links to the families of hostages? Sure. So the within the HRC, HRFC, there are several components. And one of the, the primary components is a family engagement team. And that's led by a family engagement coordinator who acts as an ombudsman to the to the families, making sure that the families are supported properly. They're getting the information that they that they want and need, as well as um, supporting them in in things that oftentimes you wouldn't think of. So helping them if if uh, say the the primary breadwinner is the person being held hostage, helping them with getting things like their income tax right. filed and with uh, deferring payment or working with them to work with companies to defer credit card payments, what, what, things like that. Anything to support that family while uh, their loved one is, is being held in captivity. So what what is the HRFC comprised of? It's, it's interagency. So define who do you have as part of the HRFC? Sure. So the HRFC essentially has got uh, five main components. Um, I'll, let me talk a little bit first about the leadership team. So the, the director, there's a director and two deputies, and those uh, individuals can come from uh, one of three agencies or entities, uh, either FBI, State Department, or DOD. Um, when, we, when I was there, we had a, I had a, a State Department uh, deputy as well as a DOD deputy, uh, worked very well together, very flat leadership. It was almost more like a partnership than it was a, than a hierarchical uh, relationship. Um, 
And then within the cell, there's there's five components. You have an operational component, which has uh, representatives from the FBI, uh, State Department, Diplomatic Security Service, uh, Department of Treasury, Department of Defense. There's an intel component, which has representatives from just about every agency within the U.S. intelligence community. There's that family engagement team, which has uh, not only FBI victim specialists, but it has State Department consular affairs. We had uh, an operational psychologist that was uh, very familiar, former former DOD, uh, that was very familiar with hostage um, matters and how people reacted coming out of captivity to assist um, with that. And then we also had a FBI crisis negotiator that worked with that, with that family engagement team. Um, additionally, we had an external engagement team. So we had someone that uh, coordinated all the media within the USG, right. um, a um, legislative affairs. So when we dealt with the Hill, we had uh, regular reports that the cell had to provide to, to Congress regarding what we were doing. And then also an external engagement coordinator that was working with uh, various NGOs and um, anyone outside of government who could possibly uh, assist us in getting our folks home. And then last but not least, you all always have to have an, a lawyer in the group. So we had a DOJ uh, attorney. You got to have the lawyers, yeah. right? So, Rob, talk to me about the scope of the kidnapping problem and then... There's criminal kidnapping and there's kidnaps by terrorists. Can you talk about the nuance and how you handled both of those? Sure. So the, the, the kidnapping problem, there's probably on any given, uh, any given day or any given week, we probably have over, over a dozen, maybe under two dozen Americans that are held hostage in either by a criminal organization or by a terrorist organization. The criminal uh, kidnappings, for the most part, are fairly rapid turnover. Um, generally, the way we find out about those is a person is, is taken hostage off or kidnapped. Oftentimes, uh, majority of them are down in Mexico. Um, they're kidnapped. The family or some other loved one of the, of the victim receives a ransom demand. And then that individual will come to either the FBI, uh, some local, state or local law enforcement agency or maybe even the state department the embassy in in country if they're if they're still in in that country and then there's a, a follow-on ransom demand um, the fbi working with uh, state consular affairs and victim services will generally provide a negotiator to that will meet with the family provide them with some advice some talking points the victim uh, specialists will provide, tell the family what services are out there for them, and then con the consular affairs person will work with them uh, as well. And then, for the most part, the cell, we monitor those cases, we report them, but oftentimes they're handled by the local FBI field office. Um, as I said, they're fairly quick turnover. So the, just to jump in there, so the FBI might open it up as a case, and you have to work closely with the, the case agent, but at the same time, you handle, is it true that you handle all these cases 
almost like you're managing it as well. It's almost a dual management, or uh, or well, you have cognizance we, on these cases. Yeah, right? we have cognizance, and I think what we're doing is is we're as the cell we're making sure that all the intel is being shared and that all the all the resources of the u.s government Got you it. know both hard and soft power are being leveraged to get to get our folks out um and like i said oftentimes in a, kidna- in a criminal kidnapping they're down along the border so you know offices like san antonio or houston or albuquerque or san diego um, they see these cases on a fairly uh, regular and frequent basis, and they're they're well equipped to to handle these cases. Gotcha. Um, in the in the terrorism related cases, those often come to our attention in a in a different light. So um, we may get notification that someone has been taken by a group, or the first time we find out about it is a group like ISIS or AQAP or JNIM posts uh, some sort of video that they have that individual. Um, those cases tend to be more long-term. Uh, a lot of the groups that we're dealing with now that have uh, taken U.S. citizens hostages are very experienced um, in taking hostages. Uh, their tradecraft is very good. Uh, they're, they make it very difficult for us to get these, get these folks home. So... They're very adept. They know what they're doing. And when that happens, when when you are notified that there's a citizen that's been kidnapped abroad by a terrorist organization, let's walk folks through what's the process in the connection to the White House then, and, and how does it begin, and then how does that process continue over time? So, yeah, so when we first find out that there is a uh, kidnapping, the HRFC would put out a notification to basically the interagency, so the U.S. government, all the, all the stakeholders in the, the hostage enterprise, and in that notification provide what details that we have. And then shortly thereafter, um, I, as the director or one of the deputies, would reach out to the National Security Council. So in, in your former role as the director of counterterrorism, that would be um, my input into the, into the White House right. and make a call and say, you know, Chris, this is what we've got. Um, and then at that time, make a suggestion as to whether or not we need to bring the rest of the uh, interagency together. And that group is known as the hostage response group. And it's essentially uh, chaired by the director of counterterrorism over at the National uh, Security Council with members, uh, including uh, the USIC, DOD, State Department, FBI, DOJ, Department of Treasury, um, all at a sub-deputies level. And really, when that, when that group first gets together, the whole purpose is, is to level set the interagency as to, here's the situation, this is what we have going, what resources are available, and what can we do initially to try to uh, secure our, our citizens' release. No, that's a great articulation. And uh, to reinforce the point you made earlier, this is all a result of the Presidential Policy Directive 30. None of this existed until that the the review was done on hostages and the PPD was signed by President Obama and the current administration continued that. There's been excellent continuity. So that's a what you just outlined is very functional and it, it worked very effectively. Yeah.
We'll be right back after this. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And that, I would say that that, fra- that process is very uh, quick, rapid. I mean, we, as you recall, we had a couple of cases where we got notification that an American citizen was kidnapped, you know, um, on a Thursday night. And, you know, early that next morning, we had pretty much the interagency post forward, which does play a huge role in these cases, the embassy forward um, online level set everybody, um, had an HRG meeting, and had some things already in action or in place by 10 o'clock in the morning the next morning, which is fairly rapid for the U.S. government. Right. No, I remember some of those cases. I also remember conferring with you on a case literally on Christmas Eve, as you Mm -hmm. recall. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great example of the interagency working collectively, collaboratively for shared goals. It wasn't always in a very good place, and over the years, I think we have refined the process, mm-hmm. and I think the families appreciate that. Let me ask an, another nuanced question. What about those countries that hold an American citizen but don't acknowledge it? How do you handle those cases, and are there examples of that? Sure. There's um, So... When the HRFC, when PPD 30 was uh, uh, written, uh, one of the things it uh, assigned in, to the cell as part of its charter was to work these unacknowledged detainee cases. And the intent behind that is that the cell could leverage all the, again, the instruments of U.S. power, mainly with the intelligence community, to develop proof that that nation was holding our citizen right. hostage. Um, I guess the probably the most prominent case that comes to mind, an example of that would be Bob Levinson in, in Iran. Right. Uh, to this day, the Iranians have not acknowledged that they're holding Bob. Yeah, and, and the government, it continues to work on that case. Yes. We never forget, correct? Correct. Um, so rough order of magnitude, Rob, I don't know if you can share this, but how many cases have been resolved since the HRFC was established? Uh, when I left, uh, we were just over 200. Wow, that's a lot of cases. So mm-hmm. that helps define the scope of the problem. Sure. And um, while you were leading HRFC, how many, uh, roughly how many cases do you think were resolved? Uh, I'm just guessing. I think when I got there that they had, had resolved anywhere from around 110 to 120, so 90 to... Still a lot of work. Yeah. So also um, you interact with foreign partners, and I know you've gone to some conferences. You frequently confer when their citizens are, mm-hmm. are held. Uh, we share information. Uh, we certainly provide information back to the... Um, to to the respective countries about their nationals. Does any nation that you can think of have a similar structure to what we have now? 
Um, so if you're looking at the, the various countries out there, I think they're all pretty envious of the, the fact that we have a hostage recovery fusion cell. Right. I agree. Um, I know with the Five Eyes partners, so Canada, uh, the UK, Australia, and New Zealand, um, they've all recently, within the last couple of years, conducted hostage reviews. Um, probably the closest to our system right now is the United Kingdom. Uh, they do not have a dedicated cell, but their process is very similar to ours in how they uh, respond to a hostage crisis. In terms of they have, they yeah. call it the COBRA, right. where instead of the HR, HRG, which stands up and brings all the, the agencies within the British government together. Um, but we, we do regularly meet with, uh, with our Five Eye partners. Uh, we have a conference once a year or a get-together. Uh, we just had one in October uh, that we hosted here in the United States. Um, the Five Eye partners work very well together. We all have similar uh, policies in terms of no concession, so no payment of ransom, no um, policy uh, concessions for the return of our citizens. And then, and we've had a number of cases where we've had, you know, American citizens held with Canadians, American citizens held right. with uh, Australians, um, and we work very closely with with our partners. So when Caitlin Coleman and Josh Boyle were held by the Haqqani in Afghanistan, for example, um, we were probably on the phone with our counterparts in the Canadian government uh, daily, uh, if weekly at a minimum. So. I can attest to that. Yeah, yeah I, re I recall to include waking them up in the middle of the night. So the yeah. the partnership was very tight. So actually, I, I got the question right that I was asked recently sure. about which partner is most analogous to the U.S. And I sure. thought maybe it was the U.K. first and foremost, and then the five mm -hmm. I partners equally. Yes. But uh, and I will add too, Chris, that I mean you know, the relationships. We also have very good relationships with um, our German counterparts, the French. Um, uh, we've met with other countries. So, for example, the Algerians are very, right. they're very keen on no concessions. Um, in fact, I think they proposed some um, uh, resolution in the United Nations regarding no right. concessions several years ago. So there's a lot of other partners out there that are, um, you know, that will work with us when it comes to hostages. And in the business of the White House, I can also mention, and you know this, that when foreign partners come in to the NSC, the National Security Council, the, that will always be a part of the agenda. If there are hostage issues that are relevant, it's always discussed. It's a part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So that I, I just wanted to reinforce. So you touched on two issues that are frequently talked about and not quite understood, and that has to do with ransom and concessions. So if you can talk, talk through uh, the nuance on ransoms and concessions for our audience, I think that would be really helpful. Sure. So when prior to PPD-30, it was... Uh, the U.S. policy regarding ransoms was somewhat, uh, somewhat unclear, and that was one of the things that was a fallout from, you know, with the ISIS four families is that, at uh, at times certain members of the U.S. government threatened them with prosecution if they paid a ransom, saying that a ransom would be material support right. for for terrorism. And what PPD thirty did was they, it clarified that and said that we will not pay ransom for terrorist related 
um, hostage takings. And I think at the time, President Obama also mentioned to the families that they would not be prosecuted for that. So the PPD 30 established that said that what the no concessions policy was is that the U.S. wouldn't pay ransom, we wouldn't do prisoner swaps or make policy changes to in order to get our hostages free. What it did clarify is that um, it, basically no concession does not mean no, no negotiation. So we, under PPD-30, we are allowed to engage with terrorist organizations or organizations that countries that support terrorist organizations in order to convince them or try to get our people out. And so that's a good segue into the next subject I was going to ask you to dive a little deeper on the diplomacy, the diplomatic aspect of hostage recovery. So when PPD was formed, it stood up the HRFC, the HRG at the National Security mm -hmm. Council, and also the State Department was responsible for aspects of diplomacy as it directly related to hostage issues. Can you talk a little bit about that position and what the State Department did? Sure. So that what PPD-30 created was a special presidential envoy for hostage affairs. And that individual um, is responsible uh, just directly for engaging, um, just specifically regarding hostages. So as if you're, you know, talking to an ambassador in a country where Americans may be, may be held, say, Afghanistan or Iran or Syria, they have many equities that they're looking at, you know, um, the, the SPIHA, the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs, has just one equity, and that's getting, getting our folks home. So that position was created so that person could just engage specifically as it relates to hostages. Um, when I came into the cell, we, as the administration had changed over, we did not have a SPIHA, and that position remained unfilled for almost, almost a year and a half. And then now Robert O'Brien has taken over as of uh, last summer, and it is now currently the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs. Which is certainly extremely helpful to have a, mm -hmm. a per permanently assigned individual that can work these issues yes. at the presidential level. But that that's a team. It's the HRFC, the NSC, and the State Department mm -hmm. working with the interagency on these cases. Yeah. A colleague of mine once called it the three-legged stool. Of, oh, uh, yeah, I remember uh, that guy, recall, I think, yeah. as I recall. Um, so then it's... It's worth mentioning, I already kind of alluded to it, so are you happy, give a grade to the enterprise, and talk a little bit about continuity. Are you happy with the continuity between administrations? Are you happy with the enterprise, and how would you grade it, in effect? Um, well, I think, overall, I would, I'd give it, uh, I would grade it a, a B. I think in terms of the family uh, engagement and treatment of the families and how they're supported, uh, probably an A, A minus. Um, you know, the, the intel sharing, it's anytime you're dealing with the, any sort of interagency uh, fusion cell or task force, there is always going to be some friction. And um, just it's it's natural it's not anything specific to the hostage recovery fusion cell um so getting past that was sometimes a little a bit of a challenge but with the representatives we had uh within the cell made it made it easier um uh, i think my my one frustration was in the transition between the obama administration and the trump administration was the fact that 
um, there were there was a huge turnover of, of people so we had to basically explain to the incoming folks in the Trump administration this is what the fusion cell does and we had a you know it was an education right. process right. which it took a little bit of time and then there was also for a period of time a number of positions weren't filled within various departments right um, so that was that was some somewhat frustrating and then after a year or so, again, we had another turnover, and so we were kind of, you know, it was three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward. That, That's the tyranny of yeah, our government, to, exactly. right? Exactly. But I will say that uh, credit to the families, again, for keeping pressure on us and keeping us collectively mm -hmm. honest. Can't say enough good things about mm -hmm. about the influence that they have to make sure we of course we're never going to forget the hrfc is not going to forget mm -hmm. i don't think the administration is going to forget but also just keeping us honest for mm -hmm. communicating frequently and yeah. that's really the hrfc role right and i would say overall the administration was very supportive of our of the cell of pp30 and what we were trying uh, trying to accomplish. So, Rob, what were some of your high points as as essentially the director of the HRFC? Well, I think the one of the high points was the successful recovery of Caitlin Coleman Agree. and her family. Um, in I believe it was October of seventeen. Um, that was that was a high point. Right. Um, I was recently I recently was able to to meet Caitlin and. Uh, see her kids, which was very, very neat. Um, Pretty rewarding, wasn't it? Very rewarding, very rewarding, and someone who was uh, very appreciative of all of all of our efforts. Um, so that was good. Um, we've had we had a number of others uh, uh, Americans that were recovered fairly quickly. I think that were um, successes in due in part to to the cell. Um, we had an American citizen who went through a very uh, traumatic experience while being kidnapped down in in Mexico, and the support we were able to provide to her after she was recovered, I think, was I remember I think that it case. was a uh, it, it really highlighted the the strength of the of the cell and what we we could do. So, what do you want to tell your team, your former team? What messages do you have for them, and what advice do you, did you provide to your successor? Uh, so, message I would say to my former team is keep the faith. Uh, the, the The folks that were that composed the hostage recovery fusion cell um, are some of the most professional, uh, dedicated uh, people that I have ever ever met. Um, one thing probably should understand about working hostages is that it is uh, the, re uh, the rewarding times are few and far be far between and and it is a grind on a daily basis that people come to work and oftentimes you know you're you're hoping on on some line of effort being successful and it turns out that it it falls short and the thing is with when you hit those uh, disappointing points in the road uh the folks in the cell were able to pick themselves up and like okay what's next what do we do next and keep driving on perseverance yes yeah isn't it encouraging again to reinforce that americans should know in particular that if they're held hostage overseas there's somebody 24 7 
there's a team of people, not somebody. There's a whole team, a whole enterprise that works those issues, and yes. that's pretty extraordinary, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. And that was your team that you led. Yes, and I would, you know, um, I had um, a uh, hostage who was uh, recovered, was re recovered prior to the cell, um, but was but was rescued um, by the U.S. military. And several weeks after her rescue, uh, came in and said to me, you know, went to thank the team that helped get her home. That said uh, to me that uh, not until the U.S. military arrived to to rescue her did she think that anybody in the U.S. government knew who she was or or cared about her. And I think it says a lot for our country that we would actually committed. Uh, the, the amount of resources we commit and the effort we commit to just bring one of our citizens home. It is extraordinary. Yeah. And yet, and we won't end on a downbeat note, yet the future trajectory of hostage taking is consistent, right? It's not going to go away. Or are you optimistic or do you think it's going to be a model that's going to continue? No, I, mean, I think it's, I mean, it's people, bad guys have been taking hostages for, for centuries. And, you know, with the, the fall of ISIS, I think, as different fighters, you know, uh, flee uh, Syria and head back to their home countries or head to other areas in the world. Um, you know, this is something that um, these groups have realized it's a good source of revenue. In fact, there are many uh, organizations um, terrorist organizations out there where uh, ransom payments are their sole source of revenue for operations for their organization. So as long as that is out there, these they're going to continue to try to kidnap um, to kidnap Westerners and kidnap Americans. And it's true that, I should have mentioned this earlier, and it's problematic to pay those ransoms because in some cases it goes directly to support other acts of terrorism, correct? Correct. So that's an important point I wanted to make, and I should have made it earlier. The other thing is from a historical standpoint, you and I used to talk about this, the Tripoli Pirates, our history, uh, the history of the United States is is um, complete with uh, many stories of hostage taking going back to the late 1800s, sure. the early 1800s, actually. And also there's a relationship, not an official relationship, but the the hostage enterprise interacts with some of the nonprofits like Hostage U.S. and the Foley Foundation that also support from a nonprofit standpoint. That's, uh, that's correct. And one of the things we did within the cell was, uh, you know, I... When I came in the cell, I, I told everyone that, uh, you know, the cell was formed as a whole-of-government approach. Right. We decided to take it out to a whole-of-society, so we reached out to a lot of folks that were outside of government that we thought would have be able to assist us and had some influence. And um, I will say this, and this, you know, says something about the, uh, uh, you know, Americans and and how they feel towards other Americans, but... In reaching out to those individuals, I'm saying almost, no, I would, not in almost all, in all cases, not one person that we reached out to asked for any sort of reimbursement or, you know, when they would fly into D.C. for meetings or anything like that, um, didn't, they didn't ask for a dime from the U.S. government. They were doing it all, 
you know, pro bono from what they could do to help their fellow citizens. It's about patriotism yes. and, and support to their fellow citizens. I can attest to that as well. It's pretty extraordinary. So let's just change gears for a couple final questions and wrap up. So you're at Star Consulting. You formed your own company. Can you talk a little bit about that? What are you going to be doing? So I just um, formed my own Star Consulting Investigations. It's just as you stated in the opening, it's a uh, uh, security and uh, risk consulting company. Um, just I've, I've worked and been in the U.S. government for over 31 years and decided it was time to be my own boss and uh, had some projects that I wanted to uh, focus on. So um, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm doing now. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Any final thoughts, reflections, or is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have? No, I think that I just uh, I would just ask that the listeners out there, you know, remember that there are Americans that are being held hostage as we speak uh, in many of them are in not very good conditions uh and so to think of them and uh keep them in your prayers thanks rob thank you for all your service to the nation not just as a army aviator but in the fbi all your dedication everything from swat to investigative work it's a uh, it's quite uh, extraordinary, and I am very grateful that we got to work together. Thank you for articulating what it is the HRFC does. You, you led an extraordinary team of great Americans, and uh, also, in some ways, you led with our foreign partners. So I really appreciate all that you did. No, thank you thank very you. much. Yep, for- thank you. Thank you for listening to SpyCast. Remember, every Tuesday we will post a new podcast, available from both spymuseum.org and iTunes. If you have any questions or comments about SpyCast, email us at spycast at spymuseum.org or leave a comment or review on our iTunes page. You can also follow us on Twitter at intlspycast. That's intlspycast. Talk to you next week. Hey, listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com slash survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now.